Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Hello, hello, it's the news. Later in the news, we're going to be talking about The Northmen, the new Viking epic by Robert Eggers, a young director whom older directors look at with quite a bit of interest uh, and in some cases reverence. Uh, and I want you to know right now that I'm speaking into a wooden microphone, exactly the kind of microphone that they used in 950 AD. Uh, and our staff has taken pains uh, to recreate it. Gina Matruda has built a medieval microphone, and my headphones are actually built into the head of a dead bear. Uh, and everything else in the studio is meticulously recreated from the 10th century uh, in Scandinavia. And today's episode will be costing $800,000 to do, which is considerably more than our per-episode budget. So, um, with that, that is to come. Right now, we're, we're going to begin with We Own the City. Uh, this is the return to Baltimore of David Simon and George Pelicanos, two of the minds behind the wire. Uh, they've got uh, some old friends working with them and some new friends working with them. Uh, it's a somewhat different look at Baltimore policing. It is very specifically focused on bad cops and on investigations of bad co- cops, on consent decrees. It starts uh, about 10 years before the death of Freddie Gray, uh, continues on for several years after the death of Freddie Gray and the protests that accompanied, accompanied it. Uh, and I don't know what else to say, uh, except that uh, it is both kind of the stuff that we learned to be fascinated by Love might be the wrong word about The Wire, uh, but it's also different from The Wire. It stars John Bernthal in particular as Sergeant Wayne Jenkins, but we will be a, like the baddest of cops, the devil, essentially. Uh, but lots of other tremendous performances that we will be discussing. And when I say we, I mean Tanisha Dugan, director, producer, and arts consultant. Sam Haddleman works in music public relations and hosts The Sam Haddleman Show at Radio Free Brooklyn. And Irene Papoulos, who teaches writing at Trinity College, a great panel. And we've already had some sp- spirited discussions uh, about both of these products. But Sam, I'm going to have you get us going because young guy that you are, you are nonetheless pretty reverent about about The Wire. So uh, tell me about We Own This City and how it landed for you. Oh yeah, I'm. It's so weird, like because like The Sopranos is carried over, Breaking Bad is carried over, but for some reason, like nobody my age watches The Wire, and I'm like the old guy screaming at the cloud, telling people you got to watch The Wire. It's the best show ever made. Da 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 da. I feel like I'm talking about Citizen Kane. You might, um, yeah, you might as well be. But I, yeah, continue. Personally, yeah. I was so excited. <laughs> um, I was so excited when I found out that we. The city was coming together. Um, I trust the makers of The Wire with my life. Um, I love the casting. I think the, probably the most fun part of the show is just seeing like what The Wire alumni look like now. Like it's so funny, like seeing like people who like were kids now playing adults, and especially seeing like Marlo Stanfield now being a cop. Like, and it, you know what? It doesn't like it doesn't feel like they're trying to recreate the magic of The Wire per se. Uh, it feels like an entirely different storyline just in the same setting um i really like how it's more of like a showing rather than telling 
in regards to talking about bad policing and all the history behind that. I think there's a magnificent cast, really tight-knit story. I don't really love how they bounce back and forth between timelines. It's a little confusing, even though they do it really well with like those filing reports uh, that the lead character does. But overall, I've been really impressed so far. Yeah, I, I feel that's way, way overdone just for people who haven't. First of all, just to clarify or to help people understand, Marlo Stanfield would have been one of the more ruthless uh, drug drug dealers and drug operators in The Wire, uh, played by James uh, Jamie Hector. Uh, in, in this series, he plays Sean Souter, uh, one of the cops. He's a homicide cop who's really tried to stay out uh, of the mud, the mud field that just spreads out all around him from some of these uh, other cops doing less admirable things. Uh, so, um, so yeah, well, I mean, I want to just go around the table here. Uh, Tanisha, I know you're having very different reactions uh, to this series, but tell us about those reactions. Uh, you know, I I am interested in The Wire and We Built This City because they both connect me to actors I know. So, you know, I went to school with Michael Kevin Darnall, who played um, Omar's boyfriend in the first season of The Wire uh, and have been working with McKinley Belcher uh, most recently. So for me, it's sort of lovely to sort of watch McKinley's work on this project, um, you know. Can I just can I just jump in for the for, can I just jump in for the benefit of the audience? McKinley Belcher the third plays Mamadou G uh, G Money Gondo. He is one of the bent cops. Uh, he's kind of an uh, uh, kind of an interesting and, and very pivotal figure uh, in this group of cops who ultimately uh, and, and and let me just say one more thing was which is as we toggle around in time, we are sometimes seeing people like Gondo McKinley Belcher the third's character operating out on the street and and basically just uh, boost drugs and money out of op- drug operations, but we also see them being interrogated because, in fact, the, the series does toggle so much. So we see them being sweated, uh, so to speak, in 2017 uh, by, by federal agents, uh, but we also see them kind of in their prime, so to speak, out in the streets doing bad things that they do. Anyway, I, I'm sorry for interrupting. I just thought okay. it might help people. I mean, federal agents mad because they're flagrant, you know? We got to... <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, so yeah, so for me, you know, it was, it was nice to watch the work, you know, yes. And I think we'll get into it later. Um, it'll be good to hear Irene's thoughts. Um, you know, my question is sort of like, do we need this? Uh, I'm curious if, if, if Simon has other work, (laughs) other ways of, of looking at the DMV, (laughs) you know, um, but yeah, you know, I, I think the, the work of the actors is, is pretty incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, let's go right over to Irene. We're going to swing around the table here. Uh, I don't even know if I necessarily know whether you like this series or not. Um, yeah. At first, I, I, I wasn't so sure um, I because I missed The Wire. I missed the sort of real psychological drama of The Wire that I that I didn't feel enough at first. But I actually ended up going and watching the first one again and thinking about it because we've only seen four. There's only four out so far. It's going to be there's going to be more. Um, and I just, and I sort of, the more I watch it, the more I like it. Uh, and I feel like there is, there is psychological drama too. It's just different. And also there's a different, it's raising different questions. And for me, the big question that it's raising is, is justice possible, you know? And I'm just kind of thinking about that as I'm, I feel like that's what it's wanting me to think about as I'm, as as I'm watching it. And I too, I mean, I just think 
the, I love seeing the characters from The Wire also. Um, you know, like the, the fat guy that was always eating in The Wire, um, and now he's in this one. He looked, maybe did he get a little bit slimmer? He, he definitely he, did, yes. Yeah. And so it's kind of interesting to see him as well as the Stanfield, because he, he was just so evil. It seemed so evil or, or not evil as much as just completely cold and jaded in the, in the first one. And now he's so much more of a nice guy, which is, which, which I find fun. So I, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm interested in the story about how, how do you, how do you find justice or search for justice? Or is there a way to find justice? Is there a way for, there's a cynicism, it's like such an intense cynicism that I felt bowled over with when I first started watching it. And then I, as I'm, as I, as it's going on, I'm thinking, well, is there a way to have anything actually, you know, anything, any real punishment, you know, or isn't there, you know? And, I'm, and so I still don't know where we're going. And I, and I like, I like that. I should say only two more episodes to go. This is a six-episode uh, series, uh, so far more compact. All six episodes directed by uh, Ronaldo Marcus Green, who uh, most recently directed King Richard. Uh, oh, let's hear a little bit from the series. Uh, let me just set the clip up a tiny bit here, though. This is from episode one. Uh, we hear, if there's sort of a McNulty, sort of a beating heart of the series, uh, it's Nicole Steele. She is a lawyer, a civil rights lawyer from the Justice Department, uh, played by Wumi, Mos- Wumi Mosako. Uh, and uh, she uh, is operating out of an office. I thought one of the, there's, you know, there's so many little telling details in a series like this. One of the things you see in that first episode is that they they've been brought in to explore a consent decree, both pre and post Freddie Gray, uh, to to run the police department. They're operating out of a quote unquote office where there's just a piece of printer paper on which someone has printed the words, you know. U.S. Civil Rights Division or something, and Scotch taped it up to a door. That's where they're working for years, but with that sense of temporariness. So uh, here is Wumi Mosaku as Nicole Steele, Ian Duff as Ahmed Jackson, who's a brand new, very young uh, DOJ lawyer assigned to her task force. After Freddie Gray, the mayor went all in, asked DOJ for a full-bore investigation to support a consent decree. But the truth is, uh, she didn't have to ask. After Freddie Gray, we were coming whether she asked or not. Excess brutality, profiling, selective prosecution. In a city of 620,000, BPD cops reported over 300,000 pedestrian stops in the last five years. Right. And of those stops, less than 4% resulted in a citation or an arrest. We have seven black males who were each stopped more than 30 times. Travel my black, walking my black. Same damn bullshit. You seem angry. <laughs> Are you? Sure, but I don't make it my everything. So you know one of the differences, Sam, between this and The Wire. This is based on uh, on real life incidents. Uh, some of these characters actually exist; they are real figures. Uh, that was, I think, not really ever the case in The Wire. Uh, in the at the beginning of this series, when they're talking about the mayor, they say Marty O'Malley, and they say he wants to run for governor. That's why we have to do all of this kind of stupid and largely cosmetic policing, which involves pulling people off corners for uh, loitering in a drug free zone or failure to obey, knowing they're going to be cut loose in less than 24 hours. They're just trying to juke their stats, uh, to use the wires phrase, and and, uh, kind of improve their overall profile. Now, one thing that I didn't know 
that I depend on you for, Sam, is to know that, for example, there is a rapper who is complaining in one of his raps about a dirty cop. The dirty cop is named Herschel, played by an unusually doughy and malevolent-looking uh, version of the actor Josh Charles. I didn't realize that Young Moose was a real person, Sam. Tell us more about that. Oh, I absolutely adore Young Moose's music. I really love the DMV just in general. It's such like a diverse, eclectic musical landscape. But I didn't know either because I, I, there's this famous freestyle with him and YG Tech called Forgiveness where he says, along really on my A-word since that Herschel stuff. And he like actually calls him out by name. And after I watched the series, I like listened to the song again. And I was like, oh, my God. He's like actually talking about these events like in real time. Uh, the music's fantastic. If you if you want to give it a chance, please do. But I was actually talking to my friend who's from Baltimore. Shout out, Keon. And he was telling me about like how him and his family like experienced a lot of the stuff that was represented in the show. And that kind of like really hit home for me that like someone that I know personally was like, I don't know. It just it was so like damning of the BPD and every like every aspect of the show that's horrible. Like to show and see that this is something that really happens to people like that just made it like completely different from the wire to me. Cause the wire was like beautiful as Shakespearean. It was like a play. Um, but this, like, it just keeps getting more horrible. And you like think to yourself, like, there's no way something like that really happened. And then you have to like snap back into it and be like, Oh my God, this is like a real story. Something that really happened in a major city in America in my lifetime. And especially the way that they like represent the protests and how the police engage with protesters. Um, I think that this was retrospective rather than reactionary. And I think that bodes well for the show. Yeah. Um, I do want to say that there are some, to your point, Tanisha, some really amazing performances uh, in this. Uh, they're the ones that we've already mentioned. Uh, but uh you know, some of the some of the just the performances in these interrogations are remarkable. I've particularly been drawn to the work of uh, Daryl Britt Gibson, another holdover from a much smaller role in The Wire. He plays Jamel Rayam, one of the pe- people. He also plays kind of a cop caught up caught up in this very crooked and abusive uh, uh, gun task force that's that ultimately is is headed by the John Bernthal character. And his explanations in those interrogations of what's going on, how he got involved in it. Just everything he does with his face and his voice and his timing. Uh, I went back and re-watched some of them this morning, and they're just, they really hold up very well. They're, they're really riveting. But I guess I'm sort of wondering how well you think, I, I don't know, I, I, I'm kind of hoping I can sort of draw you out a little bit. I mean, I think you do have some issues with this work, and I, I'm wondering if you're comfortable talking about them. Oh, 100%. Sam actually stepped right into the perfect segue. <laughs> because I am actually curious of his uh, friend who grew up in the DMV, whether or not that friend is actually watching this show. Oh, he is. Um, uh, we actually then, talked about it, and that's like how the conversation spurred up. What do you? What made him want to pick it up? Was it the hype of the story? Was it because it was about where he's from? Uh, yeah, and it, well, actually, it was my suggestion because I knew he was from Baltimore. I was like, because nobody my age is going to watch his show, and my dad can't work HBO, and I can't. I have nobody else to talk to about it. So I was like, hey, Keon, do you want to watch this? And he was like, yeah, this is like really what happens. And I'm really happy that this story is getting out there and more people are learning about the details about it. We actually talked about it this morning. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense that you introduced it to him because I don't know any. Uh, I, I won't speak for anyone else but myself. I wouldn't have fallen into this uh, show 
on my own, knowing the premise. And it doesn't surprise me in the way that it sounds like it didn't surprise your friend who you suggested this content to, that this was what was going on because I live in perpetual fear of police contact. In fact, I think just uh, watching this project had me in a bit of a a trauma response um, because I am programmed to not want to have police contact. Uh, So, you know, both listening to you and listening to Irene sort of go, you know, it really makes me want to answer the question around justice tells me a lot about where we are as a culture and the level of segregation within our culture as it relates to how we see this place that we live, but also the content that we're willing to watch and the benefit of the doubt we give that content about its its purpose. Um, Do I think it's good that uh, you are understanding the context of American cities and how they are, how they are policed um, (laughs) or not? Yes. Do I think you need this content to understand that? No, actually, I don't think you do. But I'm very curious about the remove um, that my white countrymen put themselves at when it comes to this kind of uh, reality and how the theatrical allows you to step into it and also step into it with some kind of surprise, which I think is deeply irritating to me. <laughs> but, but, uh, I, but it, you know, is it is it working on you? I guess so. And and should I be grateful for that? Maybe. Uh, but I, I, I want all of you to work a little harder than what this project, I think, offers. I mean, I do want to say, I don't think any of us is surprised. Uh, I, I don't, if you're hearing surprise from us, uh, I don't know. I, 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 we all have followed the coverage. We are all, you know, pretty conscious and aware of what's been going on in America, not just for the last four to five years, but really for essentially the entirety of American history. Uh, I don't. I'm, I'm not surprised by anything that I see here. The question to me, I guess, back to you would be: So, would it be a better world if they didn't tell this story? It seems to me they're telling, they are dramatizing and telling a story of, yeah, how, how did things get so bad? Uh, how how did things go so unchecked? Even when there were, you know, federal agents on the process from the Civil Rights Division, uh, even when there was a real conscious effort to know about this and do something about it, how did cops? We we know that police tend to be more accountable to one another than they are to the to the citizenry. They're always going to be that way. But this is a story about police who are accountable to no one else except themselves, uh, and and are disdainful not only of the community but of the people who are trying to supervise them, uh, and, and I guess the question I have is, would it be a better world if this never got made? I think it's a better world that it did get made, but but I, I sense from you, no. I think I think I have more nuance to it, which is that it's not a yes or no question. It's a perspective question. I'm actually more interested in sitting in that diner of the clip we just played and understanding more of why these two Black people working for the feds are, one, working for the feds, Two, boxed in in a way in which they cannot make any progress. And three, why one of them is asking why, you know, why you're angry? Are you angry? And I'll say four, I actually love that her that her line ends with, I don't let it carry with carry. I don't carry it with me or something to that effect, because for me, that that line suggests that she's choosing joy over the trauma. But I'm more interested in that story being told because I don't actually think 
the story of the police and why they do what they do or how they do what they do is something that needs to be told again. We've got lots of that. I'm actually interested in a different perspective. So it's a yes and for me. Okay. About okay. Yeah. And, and if I could, if I could just take like one second, um, I don't really think that this was like an educational experience for me. Like, I don't really think I look at art to like learn from, like I can like read books or there's other methods for me, but like me, my own, like personally, I I've had my own experiences with the police. I got pulled over on my own college campus in my own car being got accused of stealing my own car. Um, people close to me, family members, close friends. Like this isn't something I like had to take and learn from this to learn how the police operate. I can go outside and do that. Like it wasn't, that wasn't this for me. Like, I think I'm just desensitized by all the stuff that I grew up with in the time I grew up in. And I totally understand your perspective on the situation. I totally understand why you would look at this show like this, but I don't know. I, I guess for me personally, I can look at this and feel comfortable looking these issues in the face and understanding that there's a difference between drama on television and what people experience in real life and the duality and nuance between the two. I, I, just... I think you're a special person, Sam. I mean, <laughs> part of the reason why I work in culture and, and I believe in it so much is because I think it does more work than uh, than the Academy, right? Because there are those of us who are committed to the Academy or committed to knowledge and to learning things from book, but the vast majority of humanity learn things through story. 100%. But that's kind of the argument for doing this, right? If we learn through story, if we learn through culture better than we learn through the Academy, then you want to do a six-part HBO series on this problem. I want to do a six-part uh, HBO series on the problem, but not through the point of view of the police. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I'm kind of... Tanisha, you really put your finger on on something that I think is really important, and, I, and I'm, I'm agreeing, and I agree with you, and because I think in... In a way, it's that there's too much of the stuff that we, you know, yes, the, the cops are corrupt. Let's see another scene where they're corrupt. OK, now let's see another scene where they're corrupt, you know. And so in a way, what we want or what I would want, too, is more on the people looking for justice and the search for justice, which kind of can't is happening, but it's happening like. Uh, a smaller percentage than I would want. Like maybe the, the the cops get a much bigger role, the scenes with the cops and the scenes with the corruption get a bigger role than the scenes with what it means to find justice. Because it seems like that's that's so much an issue for our time right now. Are people gonna get in trouble for, the, for their corruption or are they not? And if they're not, everything is going to fall apart. And so we need to we need to we, we need drama about that search. And it's here in it. But it but but we want we want more of it. So that's why it'll be interesting. OK, there's only two more episodes and, you know, we'll see where they go. But anyway, so so thanks for that, because I think it's in a way it's the balance of the things as that's exactly yeah. that's exactly where i am irene and i think that what what happens in this balance is that it supports a kind of complicity of like this is just how things are mm -hmm. right um and that is the danger of culture because it just underlines and underscores what we think we know to be true and it doesn't do the activation piece which i think a different balance in this project could do but I guess my question would be like, do we want to be right or do we want to be utilitarian? Because like if we could that's this show could be a lot of the things that we're talking about. But I think it has a positive impact for people who might not be as educated in this subject. Like like I said earlier, it's a show, not tell like it's not a lecture. Like 
if I showed this to someone who maybe isn't educated on how the police operate, there wouldn't be a way for them to negate what's going on. But I also understand that, like, we want to be right. We want to tell these stories right. But at some point, we want to be utilitarian and do the most good for the most amount of people as well. So, like, it's like a balance. I'm not buying that we don't know how, that we all aren't aware of how the system works. In fact, I think we continue to tell ourselves we don't know and we need stories like this to inform us. And I think that's BS. I think we do know, actually. Um, and, and stories like this help to underscore a narrative that without these stories, we would not know. And that, to me, is very dangerous. We're going to have to sort of segue into the into our next subject. Although I will just quickly say I was rewatching a whole bunch of it this morning just to kind of rethink some of this stuff. It holds holds up very well. Uh, I saw new things, you know, and I would agree. But by the way, with the I said this when as we were emailing. I mean, I miss characters like Wallace and D'Angelo that we had in the early seasons of The Wire. And of course, by the time you get to season four of The Wire, those school kids, you are just, you know, as wrapped up in their lives as you could almost possibly be. You know, there isn't that kind of thing. There isn't really the sort of civilian, quote unquote, perspective uh, on all of that. But I think there are things. There's a remarkable conversation between Nicole Steele and this black cop who's been sort of put out to pasture in this historical park or something in Baltimore that I had a hard time even believing existed. And he's just, you know, he couldn't do the bad policing. They wouldn't let him do the good policing. And the stuff that he says, I think, you know, is said very movingly. And, and you know, a lot of those messages do get out. I agree that we're spending a lot of time talking about Char- Josh Charles's character taking a big dump and everybody's getting the wrong size crabs and bringing Mike's hard lemonade to, to the picnic instead of the beer. And there's an awful lot of that kind of stuff. Although I did love the scene where Josh Charles is sitting in a bar and Nicole Steele, the, the character Nicole Steele, comes in to interview him and he's he's been eating these wings and really kind of sucking on the bones of the wings and then he shakes hands with her and she just, without really commenting, takes the little wipette towel that he's got <laughs> just cleans her hands off before she's even willing to talk to him. Uh, there's little stuff like that that you kind of love in the world of David Simon. All right, we have to take a little break. We'll come back. We will uh, talk about the Northman. poster child for the basic failure to stop lawlessness. No justice, no peace! I've heard your cause and no justice, no peace. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. 
All right, we are back. The Northman is the uh, third major feature film by Robert Eggers, the first two being The Witch and The Lighthouse. Those were both very low-budget efforts. They allowed him to leverage uh, a much bigger budget, rumored to be $90 million, or as they say, north of $90 million. This movie is north of everything, uh, hence being called The Northman. It uh, actually takes place in three different countries, somewhere in the 900s. It's based on an existing uh, Icelandic, or Viking legend, the tale of Amleth. Uh, Amleth, excuse me. Uh, he's played by Alexander Skarsgård. There's a, a terrific cast that includes Nicole Kidman, uh, Claes Bang, who's a, a Swedish actor, Ethan Hawke, and and Willem uh, Defoe are there for a cup of coffee or a cup of mead or whatever people are drinking uh, in those scenes. Uh, Bjork plays a serious, so basically no acting uh, involved. Uh, and uh, let's hear a little bit of this. You are going to hear uh, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. You fell in love with her either in The Witch or more likely in Queen's Gambit. She is Olga of the Birch Forest. She has uh, been uh, captured as a slave by... Some pe- I don't want to spoil too much. She's a slave. Alexander Skarsgård is Amleth. He is sort of the Hamlet figure. This whole movie is basically Hamlet and Gladiator made into one movie. Uh, and Phil Martin as Halgrimir, the half-troll. You'll hear basically them discussing the premise of the movie. Why would he stow away to such a hellish place? This ground harbors evil. My fate has brought me here to find what was stolen from me. And what is that? A mother. A father. A kingdom. This is your kingdom? The traitor who stole my kingdom fled here when another king took it from him. I will leave when I'm done with him. I am Olga of the Birch Forest. And I too vow to escape this island. Then you must face many foes. As do you. Would you face them alone? Your strength breaks men's bones. I have the cunning to break their minds. You two, hold their traps! Walk on! That actually is some of the... the snappier dialogue in this movie. Uh, and uh, I mean, the dialogue is sort of an issue here, but I mean, really maybe the most quotable line in the movie is, your strength breaks men's bones. I have the cunning to break their minds. So Irene, get us going on on the Northmen. Uh, how did this work for you? Um, all right. Well, when I first uh, was watching it, I kind of had a reaction similar to Tanisha's uh, to, the, to the other show, which was, why are they making this in 2022? Um, and, but as I've been thinking about it, that has that perspective, I've sort of have some answers and some thoughts about that question. Um, and it definitely is the clip, it, you know, kind of gives you a feel for the vibe of the movie, um, and the whole idea, you know, and so I know also it really helped to read that article in the New Yorker that Colin sent us you know, to, to discover how meticulous the director was about all the details and everything. And it was kind of interesting how it was one of those stories, but he had hallucinogenics and pagan rites and all that as kind of just seamlessly integrated into the story itself, which I thought was kind of interesting in terms of the, the pagan religion, because they, you know, they, they emphatically were not Christians. Um, and, 
so it was it was it was one of those movies um about about that kind of a you know my fate has brought me here to find what was stolen from me it's just you know that kind of if, if that kind of mindset interests you then it's definitely the mo- a movie for you yeah when you're saying that i'm also thinking of the director alfonso coron who uh, is a big admirer of eggers and talks in that, that new yorker article about the fact that that Eggers has kind of a gift for just getting weird stuff like hallucinogenic moments or just really weird mystical, you know, fairy-like vibes or prophecies. And they just don't seem like any particular departure from the fabric of what's going on. It's just like, okay, this thing's happening now and it's exactly like all the other stuff that was happening, except that it's really weird and supernatural. Uh, and, and he does seem to have some gift for that. Before I get to the other two panelists, I also just want to say, the thing that you do need to know about Eggers is he has a kind of mania for authenticity. So in the, for the witch, not only did they have to uh, you know, build things that really looked very much like structures from the 17th century, they had to use the kind of saws that would have been available to people in the 17th century building these st- structures. Skarsgård talks about how there's a, a Viking ship that's like out of focus in the distance in the background of a shot that people will barely even notice but it has all been built meticulously with as much attention with all kinds of curators and historical consultants working on it so that if you were ever to get up close to it, which you never will, it will be this very accurate depiction or, or rendering uh, of an actual Viking ship from that period. Anyway, uh, Tanisha, uh, just obviously just react or whatever. <laughs> or whatever. Um, so I want to start with the with what you just talked about, which is like that kind of level of specificity and authenticity that seems to drive Eggers. I actually haven't seen the other two projects that he's uh, made, and I'm, I'm actually very curious to check them out, um, having seen The Northmen. Content-wise, this is, again, not my cup of tea, but I do think that there is something really theatrical about what he's doing. Um, You know, I started to think about um, uh, Peter Jackson, you know, and wondering, like, is he sort of in that kind of lineage? Um, I think think their work is really stunning to look at. Um, Just really, really immaculate and 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 it's interesting i did not get a chance to read your new yorker um article but it doesn't surprise me to to hear that 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 kind of that that level of you know artistry is like embedded in how he thinks of things and i think it comes through in the performances you know as well there's something really like specific and but grand about all of the performances. I actually loved Nicole Kidman. And, you know, I thought, I wish I, there was more of her actually. Um, it sort of felt like, like this is the, Nicole Kidman as, you know, an older actor, not just being used for her life, sexuality and sensuality, but for something a little more uh, grand. I, I, you know, I, I think from, a, from an art piece perspective, it's really beautiful. And, and folks, it'll win all the Art Direction Awards in the Oscars, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I agree about Kidman, too. I think this is, I mean, it's sort of a chance for her and Alexander Skarsgård to work out some of their differences from Big Little Lies, where he was her abusive husband. Well, they're, you know, here they're mother and son, but not really confined to that relationship. I don't want to say uh, any more about that without spoiling. But uh, yeah, there's some very, and I, I, do, I do agree. It has a kind of beauty, Tanisha. I found myself thinking, 
I want to be in James Hanley's beautiful Trinity Cine Studio and possibly have just taken a gummy like two hours before screen time. And I'm thinking I'm really going to be on, on quite a journey uh, if that's happening. S- sitting in my house was not quite what I was looking for. Sam, <laughs> Sam, we need to hear from you, too. Um, so I kind of hate movies like this, like Viking, Medieval, Where Art Thou? I like absolutely have had a lifelong disdain for these films. They're hard to follow. It's always the same plot. Like, I didn't love Game of Thrones. I didn't love that little movie that Brad Pitt did, Troy or whatever. I've never liked any of these movies. Um, I was cut. My, my friend Kevin, who like loves all these RTA 24, smoke cigarette before movies, he's been itching me to go watch The Northmen. And I actually like really enjoyed it. Uh, I know that people are probably going to be mad about how simple the dialogue was, but it made it really easy to follow, which I liked. Um, there were some really standout performances from like Nicole Kidman, who I didn't, I don't think I've ever actually seen her in a super serious role. Um, so that was really cool to see like her acting chops, except spoiler alert, that moment where she like Frenches her son. Oh, no, like, no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> That's too spoilery. Too spoilery. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad you screamed. Um, and, but this was kind of just like a very broy movie. Like I, I think I emailed this. It was like fast and furious for people who read <laughs> Kurt Vonnegut. Like this was like a bro dude movie. Like this was like, and it was like essentially gladiator. Like you said earlier, like that, I'm not going to give it away, but like very similar plot points. Um, I loved the action scenes. Other were really well done. Loved the authenticity. Um, it was a very familiar story that we've seen get told millions and millions and millions of time, probably the oldest story in time, but that's the thing about bro dude, you know, movies is that like it, we were just kind of there to enjoy them, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed myself. Um, so one of the reasons, by the way, that the dialogue is stilted, I mean, part of it is, I think, Sean, the Icelandic poet who uh, was uh, working from original material and writing this and then uh, getting, it, getting it translated into English, uh, may bring certain qualities to it. But they also, this is the first Eggers movie that has been tested in front of audiences. He didn't have the final cut. He's not happy about that. Um, and uh, the audiences often didn't understand what was happening, which I don't quite get because it's a pretty simple plot. But they didn't yeah. understand what was happening. So they actually went back in and they looped new lines, but it was like, we've got 18 syllables and the fourth one has to begin with T because you can really see Skarsgård making that noise, write a new line <laughs> that'll scan there uh, and we'll loop that in. And that may account for some of the badness of the dialogue. Although, you know, Irene, uh, Tanisha mentioned Peter Jackson. I, I find myself, and I'm this is not a, an original idea for me, but uh, I find myself thinking about Coppola at Apocalypse Now. We know in that New Yorker article that Ethan Hawke said he wanted to be on a set like Apocalypse Now uh, and Coppola. Now he was. Uh, and, and I think of Werner Herzog. And in both of those cases, cases, you know, there were documentaries made about how hard it was to make the movie and people got hurt and people died. And you get the feeling that this is, if you turn Eggers loose, that's who he's going to turn into. This maniac director who just puts everybody through hell and either gets something amazing or something ridiculous. Well, absolutely. And I, you know, that makes me just think about gender. I mean, you know, Sam said it was like a bro movie, which I think is true. There was a lot of violence and fighting scenes that, um, 
that I didn't didn't enjoy in the way that Sam did. And I was thinking, you know, have any are there any women directors who have who work that way? You know, I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to have every little <laughs> detail perfect. There's there there are quite a few um, male directors who do that. But it seems like there's something male. There's some maleness in that in that in that impulse to say everything has to be exactly the way I want it, and everyone has to suffer. But I don't care because I'm achieving my <laughs> vision. You know. And I, I think it's, I think that's, you know, and, and I, in a way I would ask without giving any spoilers, does this offer anything beyond that perspective? I mean, I think it, it does, or it hints at something, uh, but it, it, you know, and so I won't say more than that, but I think for anyone who watches it, you know, it'd be interesting to think about that. Is it, is that all there is? Is it completely another, you know, story like we've heard so many times, or does it offer anything for our 2022 sensibilities? Um, which I, I think it does, but I can't say because I don't want to give a spo- any spoiler. But yeah, um, I, I agree. And I agree about not giving a spoiler. Although, I mean, Tanisha, this is a movie about revenge. Uh, it's revenge is one of the oldest and most consistent plots. Uh, and, and it really does have a tremendous amount of kinship plot wise with Hamlet. Um, and, and, you know, it's hard to say anything new about revenge and without doing any spoilers, I would say, I think I know what Irene is saying. And I think she is suggesting that, uh, at least it is not a movie that valorizes or glorifies revenge. Um, I don't know if I would go that far. Okay. Uh, but I, what I'll say, the Papillion thread for me between these two projects is an underlying and an underscoring, underlining and an underscoring of who is dominant in our culture. Uh, I'm with you, Irene. I'm not sure that that the Northman offers anything more than pretty pictures. And I'm very curious about your, you know, your note about gender. And while I think of myself as a director who, if given the resources, would absolutely want to build the world site specific to what we were endeavoring towards. I don't think that the everyone's going to suffer because this vision I have in my head must come to fruition is a way that I work. And I don't think it's the way that women work. Um, and I think that this um, commitment towards violence as the way forward, the way to world build um, is, something I'm not particularly interested in. And I do think it's patriarchal. I do think it is gendered. Um, and I hear you, Sam. I, I hear you say it's bro Yeah, it is. It's very bro I'm not sure that's what we need. <laughs> oh, I, I agree. Like, I, I don't, I hope everybody knows, like, I'm not a bro. Like, I, I might wear Air Force Ones and like wear, wear like Nike gray sweatpants, but I am not Air a bro. Air Force Ones are more black than they are bro <laughs> Just for the record. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, it wasn't a compliment. And you're like absolutely right. Like uh, Irene's point was was beautiful. Like how I feel like all throughout movie history, other people have had to suffer for men's accomplishments. Like if, if you think about like any famous director, like everyone's like, oh, Hitchcock was so cool. And then you're like, oh, wait, he's kind of a nut. And then you can do the same thing with essentially any other male director. Um, and they're just given the grace because of how good the product was. And yeah, you're 1000% right. I, I couldn't even imagine arguing against that. And like, is this needed today? No, not really. It didn't really offer anything different, but that's the whole crux there. There's a reason why there's nine fast and furious movies. It, the bro movies will never die. Cause 
Pros love them. Although the one thing I would say is that the Fast and Furious movies, to the extent that I know enough about them to pronounce about them, they are kind of about bros. They're about brotherhood. They're about Vin Diesel's always going, we're a family here. We're a family. You know, <laughs> you know? And, and this is not that. This is like a guy who doesn't have any friends. Nobody likes him. And he doesn't like anybody. Uh, you know? I can name you That's a million. Why I think it's dangerous. Yeah. No, you know, it like, might be. Will... Yeah, he is a little bit. I, I agree. I, I don't mean to cut anybody off, but we're, we're really kind of hitting the clock here. So uh, we have to say goodbye to the Northmen, but not goodbye to our wonderful panel. They're going to come back, make some recommendations. All right, we are back. Uh, we are back with our wonderful panel, but right now it's time for me to say some thank yous. One of them is to Cat Pastor, our technical producer, who keeps everything running all week long, every week, uh, and also to Jonathan McPants. He is the producer of this and 99.9% of Nose episodes. Now our panel will make some recommendations to you. Denisha, I always do really enjoy your recommendations. Uh, not, not to set you up, <laughs> but, but what have you got for, for me this week? Uh, I mean, nothing will ever beat the MVP of my endorsements, which is the yield sign. But <laughs> that was really good. I will, uh, I will endorse um, "Wedding Band" by Alice Childress. Uh, my dear friend Awoye Tempo is directing it down at theater for a new audience. I saw it last week. It's uh, starring Thomas Sadowski and Brittany Bradford. It's really beautiful. It reminds me of why theater needs to happen, right? Because sometimes there are experiences that cannot exist, as you alluded to, um, in your living room. Um, and so I totally, if anybody wants to take a trip down to Brooklyn, uh, endorsed wedding band. And I also haven't been down there in so long and to see this sort of neighborhood of theater with BAM over there and the Shakespeare Center, It's it was, that's, that's one of my endorsements. And then my second, is uh, the Pulitzer Prize winning Kendrick Lamar. If you haven't talked oh. about it yet, <laughs> uh, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers came out last Friday, I think. Uh, Auntie Diaries is the song I would endorse specifically. Hmm. It is beautiful and amazing and wonderful to have hip hop talk about trans people, trans black people. Um, Shout out to Kenny for uh, continuing to push us forward. Love him. All right. I got to go from there to Sam. I, I mainly just listen to stuff that Sam tells me to listen to. He might have been planning to tell me Kendrick Lamar. Anyway. That, that was actually exactly what I was going to do. I was going to bully you right here into listening <laughs> to this album. And I will say, because I can't endorse it as well, but it's like tender. It's uncomfortable. It's challenging. It's thought-provoking. Anybody with ears and a brain should be listening to that album. Uh, I will pivot to my two other recommendations, uh, the things I'm going to be listening to this weekend. Harry's House from Harry Styles. I'm actually like a massive Harry Styles fan. Um, I love his music. He reminds me a lot of Jagger and Bowie and kind of like that era of rock and roll. So if you're a guy who screams at his radio about how music isn't the same anymore, Try out Harry Styles' album. It's pretty good. Uh, and then I will recommend I Never Liked You by Future. Uh, Future is about 40 years old, and he's probably been the most consistent music maker of the 21st century. And he's kind of returned to form, and he dropped the best hit record of the year, Wait For You, with Drake and Thames. So 
Future's album and Harry Styles' album. That's my recommendations. All right. Irene Papoulos, what have you got for us? Well, those were great. Okay, so I, I have two. And the first one is um, connected to the North Northmen. And this, it's called it's a movie that was made in 1994 called The Prince of Jutland, um, also called Royal Deceit. For some reason, it has those two. But Kristen Bale plays Amleth. Helen Mirren is his mother. Gabriel Byrne is the uncle. Brian Cox is in it. Kate Beckinsdale is in it. And it's kind of like a campy version of the North. It's totally different, but um, it's just really fun to see a very, very young Kristen Bale playing that part. If and you're interested, and in see that. the name of it again. Yeah, it's called um, "The Prince of Jutland," J-U-T-L-A-N-D. But then, for some reason, it's also called "Royal Deceit." So, um, and it's on it's on Prime for three ninety nine. Um, and the other, and I've also been watching the Andy Warhol Diaries, which don't miss it. It's on, it's on, I would say it's on um, Netflix. It's just a wonderful documentary about Andy Warhol. Um, and it, it just sinks you into New York in the 70s and 80s, New York City and him and the factory. And it takes you in there. And he, they interview all kinds of people from John Waters to, he had this boyfriend named Jed and Jed isn't with us, but his twin brother is. And so we, he, you know, they interview him and it's just, you just learn, you know, every, every, anything you would want to know and more about Andy Warhol. It's really interesting. Mm, yeah, I've been watching some of it too. And I, I would, based on what I've seen, second that emotion. All right, I'm going to do sort of part two of last, me- last week's recommendation. I was halfway through Emily St. John Mandel's new book, Sea of Tranquility. I've now finished it. It really is one of the best things I've read in a long time. It's a almost uncanny book. You feel as though the book... I don't know. You feel as though the book that's talking to you and talking about itself, it does involve sort of elements of time travel, elements of the simulation hypothesis, uh, and and she plays with that in an almost magical way. I really am just bowled over by this book. As much as I loved Station Eleven, uh, you know, this this book is sort of right up there with it. I also want to endorse the second season of Hacks. We need something more cheerful to talk about than everything that I made us wallow through this week. Um, Hacks uh, is this terrific Gene Smart uh, vehicle on HBO. It's about an aging comedian uh, who is dealing with issues with her own staff. And she also brings in a new writer uh, played by Hannah Einbinder, who is the daughter of Lorraine Newman. Uh, and second se- the second season of something like this, it really can go wrong. But but so far, they've really managed to keep that same combination of pathos and, and comedy going in uh, a kind of amusing meanness going. But there's just a completely remarkable scene where Gene Smart's character, uh, Diana, winds up uh, on this lesbian cruise where she's the entertainment. But one night in just the lounge, she kind of hijacks the piano or the piano player anyway. And, and starts singing You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman woman, and all of the audience just joins in and just even separate from everything that's going on in the series this is a really really magical moment this being hacks it immediately turns sour but, but for a moment you're just having some really wonderful bliss the kind of bliss that I experience when Tanisha Dugan and Irene Papoulis and Sam Hadleman join me on the nose and I experience bliss knowing that you're listening too so thanks for doing that all the berries Woodbury, hitting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah.